You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 39 is where we're going to be this morning after a couple weeks of a break here. Um, last time we were in Genesis 38... And we were looking at the life of Judah and the mistakes that he made. Uh, Judah, uh, he tried to make things right. I believe he he was repentant toward the end of chapter 38. Um, But he sinned and engaged in sexual activity with what he believed was a prostitute. Turned out to be his daughter-in-law, Tamar. and, And she turned things around on him and that produced two sons. I mean, it sounds like a soap opera, but it... It really happened in Genesis 38. It was a mess. And you, you think about the, uh, the story uh, from blushing to blessing was what we looked at last time. And, and how God um, utilized or used Judah in spite of his sin and included him and those two boys in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And how God can take your blushworthy moments and turn them into something uh, great if you will repent and humble yourself before your, your God. And I'm thankful for that. But I also, though, can't help but note the contrast from the man of corruption, Judah, to the man of character, Joseph. You go from one who had such a poor testimony to then this morning in Genesis 39, reading about a young man named Joseph who had an outstanding testimony before God. And before people. And that's where we're going to read this morning, Genesis 39. If you wouldn't, if you can, able to, please stand out of respect of God's word. And we, I want to read this account in Joseph's life. And from here on out, what I get, I get excited about Joseph's life. Um, he's a fun character to study um, because he he did everything in the Bible, at least. He did what he was supposed to do at every turn. We don't find him failing, we don't find him sinning, we don't find him doing wrong and having to make up for it. Joseph set the bar high, just like we were talking about a minute ago. Genesis 39, even as a young man, think about this, verse 1, it says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. So just as a reminder... Joseph was sold by his brothers as a slave to these traveling Ishmaelites. They threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him. Judah, that man of corrupt character, he comes up with the idea, says, well, let's just sell him and make some money. So they sold him, their own brother, because they were jealous. They were envious of him. They sold him to be a slave to these Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites take him, human trafficking. But by the way, human trafficking is happening all over the place in our country, even right now. So human trafficking, they sell their own brother, and they take him down to Egypt and sell him to a man named Potiphar. Verse 2, it says, And the Lord was with Joseph. And I want to stop right there and say this needs to be said today, that the hero of our story is not Joseph. The hero of this story is the Lord. And it is him, it is God... Working behind the scenes and making sure all of these things happen 
in such a way that Joseph can be in the position that he's in. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he, Potiphar, made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in, in the house and in the field. And I, this isn't in the message today, but I, I want to say this. At your job, do you operate or carry yourself in such a way that God feels obligated to bless your employer based on the kind of employee that you are? You ought to carry yourself in such a way that your employer looks at you and says, there's something different about this person. And they know that if they lose you, they're not just losing a good employee, they're going to lose some blessings. Yeah. Carry yourself that way. I'm telling you, those of you in here that own a company or you run a business, then when somebody comes in and they do things the right way, you know that God blesses your business for that. So verse 5, it came to pass... From the time that he had made him overseer, I already read that verse, um, I'll just read it again. In the house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me in a sexual way, but he refused. And don't you wish you could just say that about the temptations in your life? The very simply, the testimony of your life is when temptation comes, but he refused. But, but, but she refused. I love the fact that this young man has such conviction. He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not, or knoweth not what is, in, is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. This is not a humble brag, by the way. This is Joseph acknowledging that God had provided, God had lifted him up into this position. And he's saying, there's nobody in this house like me. I've got, your, your husband has given me very many responsibilities. And, and I can't imagine doing something to injure that. He says, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. Isn't that how temptation works? That he hearkened. Not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth that she called unto the men of, the, of her house and spake unto them saying, See, he hath brought in. This is about her husband, by the way. So she's manipulating. She's now blaming it on her husband. See, he hath brought in in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me. And fled and got him out. 
And she led up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And then Joseph, and I'm not going to read the rest of it, Joseph's master Potiphar takes him and throws him into the prison because he's falsely accused. But I want to focus this morning on the first part of this. We could take this a lot of different directions. But today I want to look at it very practically, in a a very practical way at face value today. And that Joseph gives us a blueprint for resisting temptation. And of all the things we could talk about today, I don't know that we need anything more than that. You see, even as a teenager, with no one one else watching, Joseph had enough conviction that he did that which was right, even if no one else was around. And as a lesson for us here, Christian, it's this, is that you better have a plan for when you are tempted. It doesn't sound very exciting, does it? I'm telling you, there may, not, there may not be a more important lesson for God's people today that we better know what we're going to do when temptation comes calling. Because every casualty of the Christian life is a casualty of sin. And you better have a plan when temptation comes calling. Let's pray and ask God to bless us. Father, I thank you for the day. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to really engage. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would utilize the word this morning to speak to our hearts and change us. I believe this is the kind of message that's transformative. And I believe it could be a huge help to us. Help us not to miss it because maybe we think this is below us. God, it's not. God, we every one of us are subject to temptation. We are subject to sin. And we must have a plan. God, we ask you and beg you to meet with us and to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. They say that what you do when you're all alone is the real you. And, and uh, that's, it can be true in serious ways. It can be true in funny ways. You ever, you have some things that maybe you do by yourself that you wouldn't do when somebody else was, if somebody else was around. And I mean, when I used to travel to, I would uh, in the mornings go once a week down to Oklahoma City from Stillwater and and I would teach some classes, and I would just sing while I drove. Anybody else sing while you drive, or maybe you sing in the shower? Yeah, I don't sing in front of people, but I sing in the shower, okay? Well, I would drive and sing, and one day I was really into whatever I was singing. I was lifting up my voice to the Lord, not watching the road, and the one, I look over, and there's a college-age girl next to me just laughing at me. I mean, she probably had her phone out recording me. You ever do anything like, is there anything that you do when you're by yourself that, man, I'm glad nobody else saw that, like you trip, or you talk to yourself, anybody do that? When, I, when we first moved to um, a parsonage there in Stillwater, we lived across the parking lot from the church, and I don't know why, but, but I was young and, and, you know, just foolish, so I would go out my back door and close my eyes and try to walk across the parking lot and make it to right to the door that I was supposed to walk in without hitting my nose on the building, you know. So 
By the end of it, I'm doing this, walking up to the building. I can't imagine. What if people had walked, dro driven up and see the music director, youth pastor, kind of walking around in the parking lot like that? Like sometimes you do strange things by yourself, you know? And, and, it's, and it's funny because you do those things because nobody's watching, but it's also dangerous because nobody's watching. And, and, and being alone doesn't just bring out the silly in some of us. Well, by your reaction, I, mean, I guess I'm the only one that's silly when they're by themselves. Um, but, but it also can bring out the sinner in us. See, when you're by yourself, that's when you're most likely to fall into sin. And, and it can be dangerous. When we're alone, we're prone to give in to the temptations of sin. See, here's the problem. Sin is the most dangerous thing in your life. And it's like a grenade with a pin that's been pulled and it's sitting by your feet and you're just acting like everything's fine. This week while I was preaching up at, in Colorado at this camp called Silver State, um, apparently one of the nights that I was preaching, um, there was a mouse running around the back of the tabernacle. And so there were women toward the back. They weren't paying attention to me. They were sitting in their pews like this with their feet up. They're not listening to me. They're, they're trying to keep their feet up. You know, how many of you women in here, you'd admit if there was a mouse running around on the floor, your feet would be on the pew, okay? All right, how many of you men would say, if, okay, some of you. You know, if there's a mouse running around, you just want to get, you want to get off the floor. That's kind of like the natural reaction. But I was thinking that it makes sense, but, but, but sin is far worse than a mouse. And yet very often God's people keep their feet on the floor like there's no danger involved. See, we're afraid of the things that we shouldn't be afraid of. And yet when it comes to sin, that which we should be afraid of, we act like it's no big deal. But I just want to remind you today that the end of sin is death. Sin destroys and it, it always leaves us worse than it, it finds us. Sin should be at the top of our list of things to avoid. Few things should frighten you, like the thought of temptation coming along, and you're not ready for it. See, we all have our own individual temptations. James wrote, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And I like the way Jim Berg describes that. He says his own lust, it's like, you've got your own designer lusts. Meaning that you've got your own, your own things that you are most tempted in. And that you've got those sins that you're most likely to trip up with. See that word, his own, that phrase is from where, the word from where we get our word idiosyncrasies. And idiosyncrasies are those things, those, those behaviors or those actions or those th ways of thinking that are peculiar or unique to you. We all have idiosyncrasies. You know, we all have things that we do, uh, either that we carry ourselves, or, you know, some action that we do or some way that we think. And, you know, most of us think, well, I don't have anything like that. Um, but we all have them. I mean, I don't have anything like that. But, you know, you have those things that you involuntarily do and you don't notice. Some of us blink a lot. You know, some of us stutter when we talk. Some of us talk over other people. Some of us think differently about things. Those are our idiosyncrasies. But it's not just true in your behavior. It's also true in your sin. That something that may not be a temptation to, to me might be that thing, that very thing, most likely to take you down. 
You've got these areas, we all have these areas of, of maybe it's anger and you've got a short fuse and, and when you're confronted or something happens that you don't like, and man, that anger, that short fuse gets you in trouble. Maybe you've got bitterness in your life that you struggle to forgive what somebody else has done against you. Maybe it's spiritual complacency, which means that you're not very motivated to walk with God and, and you have a tough time getting up to read your Bible or pray or maybe you're not that consistent in your church attendance. It can come in all forms. I mean, your, your designer lust, your idiosyncrasy might be that you don't control your tongue and you talk when you shouldn't be talking and you say things that you shouldn't say at the wrong times. And I think most of us would say that's something I could definitely get in trouble with. With. Maybe it's disob young people, disobedience to your parents. Your, the, the way, if you're going to mess up, if you're going to trip up, it's because you don't have respect for your parents at times and you don't obey them like you ought to. It could be like in our story. It could be an area of sexual sin or lust. It could be gossip. It could be what you watch or what you listen to. My question, one question to answer this morning is, what area is most likely to trip you up? In what area of sin are you most likely to fail? See, you need to identify that this morning. You need to figure out if Satan's going to come after you or if you're going to trip up in your flesh because of your own sinful flesh and your own weakness, what's it going to be? What area is it going to be in? And that's the area that you better shore up. You better be on your guard if it's when you're alone late at night and you've got your phone out and you can't sleep. If that's the moment that's most likely to trip you up, then take some steps to not put yourself in that position. Turn that phone off. Give it to your wife, men. Don't Just say, no matter what happens in the middle of the night, I'm not pulling my phone out, no matter what. I mean, these, seems like, these seem very practical and very, you know, common sense uh, ideas here but sometimes we don't think very clearly when it comes to sin you know we think we're going to be fine and we'll be the exception but you never are you're not no one is the exception listen you better when that temptation comes you better have some convictions that drive you or you will fail every time See, here's the thing, Joseph was a man of flesh just like us, but he was a young man, and he was at an age that you wouldn't expect somebody to be able to say no. I mean, when I was in middle school, uh, D.A.R.E. was a big deal. I mean, in public schools, and they had the D.A.R.E. program, drug abuse, resistance education, just say no to drugs and alcohol, and they just like, they drilled that into our heads. And so, just say no became a catchphrase, and we, we said it about everything, just say no, just say no, and it's, I mean, that's obviously good for alcohol and drugs, but it's also really important when it comes to temptation. That we must have a plan in place to help us say no when temptation comes. And you say, well, I don't, I'm not tempted very often. Well, you must not be human. Because if you're a human being and you're living and breathing, then temptation comes every day, multiple times a day. You will be presented with opportunities to sin more than you can count. And if you don't learn how to counter those moments, you will be a casualty. There's a life of blessing at stake that you will miss out on if you can't say no to sin. 
That's why we've got to be prepared for our moment of temptation. And I want to look at that in Joseph's life. And you say, well, this is just too practical of a message on Sunday morning. Uh, We need sometimes a practical message on Sunday morning. We need some steps to take because you better have a plan for temptation. And this is not for my sake. This is for your sake. Man, this is for your, your marriage's sake. Teenagers, this is for your relationship with your parents' sake. This is for, so that we can put ourselves in the best position to live for God and be blessed for God. You've got to have a plan for temptation. We lose so many Christians because they get into sin and it consumes them. And some of you have come in this morning and you're consumed by sin. And you say, it's too late for me. No, this plan works for you too. Come in here with some hope and know that yes, sin always brings about death. And sin puts you at odds with God. But if you will practice some of the things that we're going to look at this morning, I can guarantee you based on God's word and and its, its foundation, not my words, that if you will put these things into place, they'll be a help to you to get out of that, the cords of sin that are entangling your life. And I think we'd be surprised if we could look at people on the inside out this morning, just how many people are bound by some sin. We'd be surprised at how many are bound by, by lust and how many are bound by anger, how many are bound by fear and bitterness and complacency. And listen, if you don't learn how to handle your temptation, your sin is going to handle you. Sin always leads to death in our spiritual lives. And by the way, I, I've got to say it because I'm dealing with sin this morning. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I'm not, in this message, don't sit and think, well, this message applies to those people in that section over there. And these people over here No, all of us are sinners. And all of us, if something's not dealt with in our sin... All of us deserve death. All of us deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell, a literal place called hell. And if we don't do something about our sin, then something, then we have no hope to be reconciled to God. But thankfully, we don't have to do anything about our sin in our own flesh. Jesus Christ came and died for our sin in our place so that we could trust his payment and receive him and be saved forever from our sin. So sin always leads to death, but Jesus Christ gives us the opportunity to take some steps by faith to be free from that consequence. So I'm going to look at some background here and then give you three very simple but very important truths this morning. Uh, So we look here at verse 1 how Joseph was sold, he was brought down to Egypt into Potiphar's house. And and Potiphar was a high-ranking Egyptian official and Uh, he's described as captain of the guard here in verse 1, which there's some debate about what that means exactly. And uh, he was either Pharaoh's secret, uh, head of Pharaoh's secret service detail, or he was head of the king's prisoners. And he was the chief executioner. He would also, uh, he would would make sure that their sentences were executed. So either way, whatever it is that he did, we know that he was high ranking. He was a powerful guy. So verse 2 says, and the Lord was with Joseph. And I want to stop here and just point out that the Lord was present with this young man every step of the way. I mean, in a pit, he wasn't alone. In Potiphar's house, he wasn't alone. In the prison, he wasn't alone. In the palace, he wasn't alone. And I just want to say I'm thankful today that we are never alone if we have a Heavenly Father. 
He promises never to leave us or forsake us. And that plays a role in Joseph's resistance. So, so kind of file that away. We'll look at that in just a minute. So he was alone, uh, but God was with him. But it says in verse 2, he was also a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. What does that mean? Well, um, he was, that, that means that he was successful in everything he did. The fact that he was in his, the house of his master meant he had already proven himself. So Joseph likely, they don't just bring in a slave and have him work next to their master right away in the house. No, chances are Joseph was, was working outside, manual labor, doing something lowly. And because though he proved himself, because he was a prosperous person, he had worked his way up. And the Bible says he was in his master's house. So Joseph had already proven that he was a hardworking young man. He was a man of integrity. And now he's in the house of his master. His master trusted him. Potiphar could tell something was different about Joseph. Look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hand. And, and so basically Joseph is over all of the house and Potiphar doesn't even really know day to day what's happening in the house. Potiphar knew that jo God was with Joseph. He raised him to a point where he said, I'm going to use you in a high functioning position. Everything that Joseph did, he did with excellence. Every task that he received from his master, he took seriously. Every project he took on and he completed well. And this is a good sign and a good example of the kind of employee and the kind of worker and the kind of servant of God we ought to be. There should be no job that we take that's too small for us. We ought to approach every ministry, every opportunity at work, every responsibility we're given as something that's important. I'm going to give my all to it because as we do that, God tends to bless us and reward us by promoting us and giving us more responsibility. But even if he never does, just to know that God is looking at us and pleased with how we work, that's enough. Joseph did things well, so much so that Potiphar said, just take care of my business. You just, you just run my house. I'll take care of the king in his prison. It got to the point that the only thing that Potiphar took care of was his bread because he's a man and food is still his number one priority. So look at verse 6. He left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. You say, what, is, what does that mean? Well, goodly person and well favored means that he was good looking and he was well built. I was trying to think, man, what kind of example could I give today? And I was like, he, he's a mix of our summer interns. <laughs> he's got Josh's model looks and Abishua's linebacker muscles. That's Joseph wrapped up in one. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that's like a superhero combination right there. But, but God, I mean, Pharaoh looked at him and said, this guy, he's got it all together. Not only does he look apart. But he's responsible. It wasn't just what he looked like. Although that was part of his testimony. Is that he, you, he stood out. Some people just stand out. I mean they just. You, when you walk in a room you notice them. And Joseph was that kind of a guy. And, and, but most importantly though. Rather than what he looked at. Like driving who he was. What he believed was who he was. 
He was not just a man of muscles. He was not just a man of model good looks. He was a man of conviction. See, conviction is when you believe something to the point that it affects your behavior. And most of us have conviction when we're around other people and when people are watching. But Joseph had conviction when he was all alone. Young people, you want to prove yourself to your parents? Don't just do right when you're around other people. Do right when nobody's watching. That's how we know that you're a man or a young lady of conviction. And so here comes temptation in verse 7. Here's Potiphar's wife and she sees this strapping young man. She casts her eyes upon him and she says, lie with me. This is, this is in a sexual way. And think about it, she was likely beautiful. I mean, a man of Potiphar's status, a man as important as Potiphar, a man as with as much influence as Potiphar, he could have had any, he could have married anybody he set his eyes on. So she was likely beautiful. We know she was influential. We also know she was manipulative. Because she comes at Joseph every day, and then when he says no to her, then she goes to the servants, and she blames her husband for Joseph, which means her and her husband were at odds. Likely, he was working a lot. He wasn't in the house a lot. She was resentful of that. So she's blaming her husband to the servants. Then when her husband comes in, she blames Joseph. In some ways, blames him still. She's a manipulator. And, and you think about, if, if she represents the temptation of her life, she really sums up temptation. Think about it. Temptation is appealing. She was likely beautiful. Temptation is strong. She was persistent. She came at him every day, it says. Temptation is anonymous. This was in secret. Temptation is pleasurable. This would have been something as a young man that would have been appealing and pleasurable to him. And most young men at this age would have stepped right into the bear trap. They would have given right into the temptation. But here's Joseph, 17 years old, and he's so convinced of truth that he withstood the temptation and the advances based on his convictions. And I want to give you three simple truths today that I hope that you'll write down, even if you don't typically write things down. I want you to write these three truths down because these are three truths that help Joseph say no. Three truths. There should be a pen and a pew in front of you. If you've got some notes or you've got your bulletin, just write these down. I think they'll be a help to you. Three truths that help Joseph say no. Number one, God is present with me. God is present with me. See, twice we see just in our text, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. Listen, every step of the way, God was with Joseph. And that's a, com that's a comforting truth today. It's comforting when you're afraid to know that God's with you. It's comforting when you're, you feel abandoned to know that God is with you. He is, wants us to help, he wants to help us every step of the way. He wants to cheer and to guide as we read in great, or saying in great is thy faithfulness. And he's with us every step. It's very comforting to know that God is with us. But you know what? It's also very convicting. Because it means God sees everything we do. In Psalm 139, uh, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, and whither shall I flee from thy presence? And that's both comforting and convicting. Here's the idea. Everywhere I go, God is with me. Listen, that means that he hears and he knows every thought I think. 
because there are no secrets with God. It means the Lord hears every word that I speak because he can hear everything. It means he sees every step that I take. He knows every motive that I have. Listen, he's been observing your life since you were in your mother's womb. The Lord sees everything. That means that he's, he knows when you're tempted to sin, he's watching that encounter. That means we expose Jesus Christ to everything we look at. We expose the Holy Spirit to every thought that we think and every word that we say. When you retreat into your private world of lust or, or anger or revenge or, or hatred, then you're exposing the holy God of heaven to those thoughts because the Lord is with you. When you're confronted to sin, you must remind yourself of this truth. God is present with me, therefore I will say no. So you should say no to that temptation based on who you'll expose to that temptation. I mean, just think about somebody else watching. Teenager, if your mom was looking over your shoulder, would you still view that image? Husband, if your wife was listening, would you still say those words? Wives, if your husband could read your thoughts, would you still think what you're thinking? And if someone that you know and love was watching, would you still make that joke? Would you still turn that video on? Would you still take that drink? Would you still steal that item? Most of us would say, well, no, I wouldn't. If somebody I knew and loved was watching, well, certainly I wouldn't. Well, so if you wouldn't do it in front of somebody that you know, why would you do it before a holy God who is offended by the mere presence of sin? I remember one time when I was a teenager and my mom was getting on to me about something and, and so as I walked back into my bedroom, I mumbled something under my breath. I don't remember what it was and I shut the door behind me but the door didn't shut all the way and in that moment I knew I was in big trouble because my dad had followed me to my room and he stopped that door from closing and I don't even remember what I said and I don't even know that my dad heard what I said but he could tell the spirit in which I said it. And that day my dad reminded me that sometimes dads are always watching. And he reminded me who's in control still. Even as a 15 or 16 year old kid, by the way, dads, you're still dad. And listen, if I knew my dad was listening, I would not have said what I said. I would not have grumbled or mumbled under my breath. If I knew he was listening, I wouldn't have done it in the first place. But if God is watching and listening, young person and, and adults here, let that impact what you do. See, because truth number one that was real to Joseph is if God is present with me, I'm going to say no. Number two, the second truth today is that God has provided for me. God has provided for me. He refused, look at verse 8. God, but God has provided for me. But number 8, verse 8 says, But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is, in, is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There's none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. You know what Joseph is thinking? I, I have all of this stuff already. I have all of these responsibilities. I've been blessed already. You know what Joseph is saying? He's saying, look what I already have. 
Why would I seek that which I haven't been given and, and give up what I already have? See, Joseph knew that his provision was from God. God had provided for him. God had given him everything that he had. So Joseph's thought was this. Why would I trade what God gave me for what God hasn't given me? I'll focus on what I have, not what I'm missing. I'll focus on what I already have, not what I lack. See, here's a truth that's helped me so many times in the recent months. If I'm feeling discontent or I want something else or I'm tempted with something, it's this truth I preached out of James a few months ago. God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is neither is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, there's two truths out of that. When you study that out, then you realize God always gives good gifts. Everything he gives us is good. And not only that, he gives us gifts that are good for us. He, he gives what's best for us. So when you, when you boil that down, then you come up with the thought, God is good, therefore his gifts are good enough for me. So I can be content with what I have because I trust God. He's a good God. And James wrote that, wrote that verse, James 1.17, right after he was talking about resisting temptation to sin. And his point is this, when you're tempted, remember God is good, therefore you already have what you need. His gifts are good enough for us. Husbands, listen, God's blessed you with your wife. That's God's provision for you. That's God's blessing for you. Anything other than that wife, I heard somebody say it this way, anything other than that wife is less than blessed. So the look that, you know, so everyone looks and, and you know, they're, they're, they're putting out this image on social media and, and in magazines and on TV that there's this, this vision of a woman that, that everyone's supposed to have and everyone's supposed to be like. But listen, that's not reality. No, be blessed by the wife that God has provided you. The woman at work may seem nice, but that's not what God has provided you. And I'm telling you, men all the time think that what is outside of God's provision will be better than what they already have been blessed with. That's impossible. Because if God has provided it for you, that's exactly what you need. God has already provided, so enjoy that blessing. That's, what, that's what's best. Ladies, listen, um, God has blessed you with your husband. And he may not ride home every day on a white stallion with a dozen roses. He may not, he may not ever do that, not even once. I mean, you may wish he did. But he doesn't. But you know what he does do? He takes care of you. And he leads your family. And, and wives, ladies, be careful of assuming you need something that's not real, something romanticized and something in some fantasy world that's not realistic on any realm. Be thankful for who God has provided you and tell the Lord, God, you're a good God and your gifts are good enough for me. I'll be content with what you've provided for me. You have to decide if you're going to focus on the provision God has blessed you with or you're going to continually seek something outside of his blessings. Be thankful and focused on what you have, not what you lack. And if you're seeking something outside of God's provision, you're effectively waving your finger at God and saying, you're not enough for me. 
Don't buy into this idea that you need something more. If God has blessed you with it, that's what you need and be content. And I want you to chew on that. God is good. Listen, God is good and, my, and his gifts are good enough. This applies to so many areas. God's good and my wife is good enough. God's, God is good and my husband is good enough for me. God is good and my parents are good enough for me. This is a job God provided and it's good enough for me. I'll be content. God, if you want me to be here, that's what I'll be content with. This house is good enough. This car is good enough. This position, this ministry that I have, my status financially, if God provided it, I'll be content because God is enough for me. When you're tempted to sin, tell yourself, God's provisions are enough for me, therefore I will say no. So to say no, first you have to think about God's presence. He's there with you and you expose him to everything you see. But second, think about God's provision. God has provided for me. I'll be content with what I have. Number three, though, God has a purpose for me. God has a purpose for me. So God's presence, God's provision, and God's purpose. And look what he says at the end of verse 9. He says, there's none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know who was on, God, on Joseph's mind in the middle of his temptation? It was God. See, he was thinking more about God than whatever pleasure he could enjoy in the moment. And, and you see, God had a better plan for Joseph than what that moment was offering. What was on Joseph's mind? Well, I believe in this moment, Joseph is thinking about Genesis 37. And who remembers the dreams of Genesis 37? You've got Joseph and the sheaves are bowing down to him. You've got Joseph and the stars are bowing down to him. And you think, well, that was just an egotistical dream. Well, no, it wasn't. That was God revealing God's plan to Joseph. God was saying, here's what your future looks like. Your future is going to be really good. You will someday, I'll raise you to a point that you have influence and others will bow before you. You'll lead other people. You're going to, you have, I've got big plans for you. That's what God was saying. And you know what Joseph was thinking about? I truly believe this. What Joseph was thinking about when Potiphar's wife was tempting him day by day is, but God has big plans for me. God has a purpose for my life. And Joseph knew that if he was to give in to this temptation with Potiphar's wife, he would effectively be saying, I'm going to forfeit God's big purpose for my life for what I can enjoy in this moment. Instead, he's saying, why would I trade the big stuff tomorrow for a few minutes today? People do it all the time. Is a few minutes right now worth missing out on what's better later? Why would I trade what's permanent for what's temporary? See, God has this great end in mind for Joseph, but all that would have been forfeited if he'd have said yes to this sin. Joseph was operating on the greater yes principle. There's a song called There Must Be a Greater Yes. You've probably, maybe many of you heard it. And how sometimes we've got these prayers and we seek God and we say, you know, God do this for me. And he says no because he's got a greater yes in store for us. Well, you need to remember that principle when you're tempted to sin. John said it this way, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 
He says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, temptation, the lust of the eyes, temptation, and the pride of life, temptation, that's not of the Father. It's of the world. And he says, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You know what he's saying is, all the temptation, listen, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that stuff someday, it'll pass away. It's all temporary. And by the way, sin is always temporary. It makes you think it's going to supply what you need and give you contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment. And so you jump in and you do it. And in a few minutes after it's done, all the satisfaction is gone. And all you're thinking is, okay, I need to do it again to satisfy myself again. No, it doesn't satisfy. It's temporary. So what John is saying is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. What you need to do is say no to that so you can enjoy it being in the will of God. The person that does the will of God abideth forever. And so a lot of Christians think that the Christian life is just no, 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 no. No fun, no smiling, no laughter, no friends because we're Christians. And we start thinking that Christian life is all about no, 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 no. And you know, if you don't see the end, it's all about the nose. But if you look past the nose and you realize that pleasing God at the end, when you stand before him, he will actually could say, well done, I'm pleased with you. That makes the nose worth it. It gives context to the nose. Because you're not saying no for no sake, you're saying no for yes's sake. There's something greater beyond the no. You know, it kind of reminds me of of Carnival, the Brazilian steakhouse here in Sioux Falls. It's almost noon. We're hungry. You know, Carnival is a great place to eat if you're not vegan, okay? It's a great place to eat. But can you imagine, and a couple's class goes there about once a year, and they, we go eat all the meat we can. And... Um, can you imagine, though, it's the night of the couple's activity. We're going to go to the Brazilian steakhouse. And on the way to Carnival, you, you, you see this big sign with a big bell on it. Taco Bell. I'm talking Heath's language now, aren't I? And you're like, man, Taco Bell sounds really good. And I'm, listen, I, I'm, I, like, I don't mind Taco Bell. I I'm thankful there's a place in Sioux Falls you can go and get genuinely authentic Mexican food. <laughs> Thank you for adding that to our culture so we could get real Mexican food. I mean, it's genuine. So a cheesy gordita crunch. I mean, that's like historical Mexican food. So well, can you imagine, though, knowing... Carnival is over there, but Taco Bell stands in between and stopping at Taco Bell. See, Carnival represents God's purpose for your life. This is all figurative, okay? Taco Bell represents our plans for our life. 
See, before, before we get to carnival and really enjoy the good stuff, we fill up on everything we think is going to satisfy us. And then we get to carnival and realize, man, we really missed out because I'm not as hungry as I should be. I won't get to enjoy the food like I should. See, that's a picture. I know it's silly, but it's a picture of what many of us do. See, the greater yes is waiting, but we stop at the no along the way. And we indulge there and we miss out on God's purpose for our lives. And so in the middle of temptation, you've got to remind yourself, yes, this is in front of me. And yes, it's appealing. And yes, it looks good. And yes, it might be even, uh, it might be even pleasurable. But something better is waiting. Therefore, I'll say no. Because God has a bigger purpose for my life. Christian, God has big plans for you. And imagine yourself standing before him at the judgment seat and he's sifting through the works of your life to see if there's anything there that lasts or anything there that matters. And that's why you say no to lust today. That's why you say no to pride. That's why you say no to anger. That's why you say no to jealousy and no to bitterness because saying yes would forfeit the kind of experience you will have at the end of your life. You'll be trading a greater purpose for something that cannot possibly satisfy you. That's why husbands and wives, you say no to being unfaithful because your relationship with your spouse is the greater yes. And that's why you say no to getting angry parents because your relationship with your children, that's the greater yes. Sin always keeps us from something greater. And that's why in the heat of temptation, you must tell yourself, God has a greater purpose for my life. Therefore, I will say no. Listen, if you'll rehearse these three truths when temptation comes, it'll change how often sin wins the battles. When you're tempted with lust or you're tempted with ingratitude or when tempted with pride or tempted with bitterness or disobedience or anger or you name it, you tell yourself these three truths. God is present with me, God has provided for me, and God has a purpose for my life. And those convictions are what help, I believe, help Joseph do two things. It helped him refuse the temptation and it helped him run away. When he was standing right in front of it. We need to get to the place that we refuse and run away. But the reason we don't refuse right away is because rather than telling, us, telling ourselves God is present with me. We're telling ourselves Ooh, nobody's going to know. And the reason we don't run away is because in the middle of it we're thinking well you know I sure do. I think that could satisfy me if I just had that just a little bit more. The reason we don't refuse and run away is because in the middle of it, we forget God has a purpose and we think, but this right here. Listen, if you will practice these truths and tell yourself these truths that God is present, God is provided, and God has a purpose, therefore I will say no. You will find yourself more often than you ever have refusing and running away. Resisting the temptation that stands in front of you. Are you bound today by sin that nobody else knows about? I just want to tell you there's victory. If you'll have a truth-filled plan, 
By that I mean, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So you don't just need a plan to run away and refuse. No, you need something to build run away and refuse on. You need truth. And the truth is God's present with me. God has provided for me. God has a purpose for me. And I'll rehearse those every time temptation rears its head. So maybe you have a sin nobody else knows about. You need a plan. And you need a plan for temptation. Are you facing temptation without a plan? Only fools go in without a plan. If you fail the plan, you're going to just plan to fail. So make a plan for your temptation. And rehearse it. Rehearse the truth. God's presence, God's provision, God's purpose. Then you'll find yourself refusing the offer. Just say no. And then you'll have the strength to run away. Don't stick around. And I know it's hard in the moment, but you'll please your heavenly father in the end. And that makes the yes. The yes makes all the no's worth it. Listen, I know that temptation is difficult. And I know temptation is real. And I don't understand and I can't put myself in everybody's shoes this morning. But I can say this. If you don't have a plan to resist it, you will not win those battles. So this morning, in a very practical way, I'm just encouraging and challenging you, either, either members of Eastside or guests this morning. Listen, sin always kills. It always leads to death. And so I'm trying to keep you in a position where you're not having to experience spiritual death. And day after day of defeat, no, you need a plan. And that plan is truth. And those truths are God is present, God has provided, and God has a purpose. And then you'll find yourself resisting and running away. That's what you need. Listen, every person in here this morning, you think you're above it, you're not. You have a sin, you have a designer lust, you have your own idiosyncrasy, that one place, that one area in which you'll likely, most likely fail. You've got to take this seriously. To the rest of you, maybe there are some in here and you say, yes, sin has entangled me. It has my whole life. I don't, I've never had victory over sin. Well, have you ever met Jesus? Because Jesus Christ, listen, you can try this in your own strength, but without the Lord's help, you can't do any of it. You need first, you might say this morning, I'm so tired of sin. I'm so tired of feeling beaten down and, and just, I mean, every day it just gets me. Listen, you'll never start having victory over sin until you meet the Lord. Jesus died for your sin. He gives you victory. He promises victory over sin and death. You must first, by, by faith, receive him as your Savior and accept him into your life and heart. Be forgiven of your sin. Then you will finally find the power to stand in the face of temptation. And these truths will help you in those moments, but only... Uh, only if first you've met the Lord. Have you met Jesus Christ? Do you know him? If you were to die today, listen, everyone listen. If you were to die today, do you know that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Because the only other alternative is hell. You could die today. And if that happens, will you go to heaven? If you say, no, I'm not sure. Listen, you can, you can respond right now at this invitation. We've got men and women that could show you from the Bible how you can be saved. 
And then your journey to resisting temptation really begins. And I want to encourage you today, if you don't know that you're saved, would you just find somebody close to you, come forward, we'll show you from God's word how you can be saved. And then for the rest of us, let's, let's instill a plan. Because sin has had its way far in far too many lives. And let's let the Lord, his truth, drive us to have victory over temptation to sin. Let's stand. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We'll have a verse of invitation. And an invitation means this. It means that we are inviting you to come and make a decision for Christ. And some of you need to. Either, either you've never been saved or you're bound by sin. And sin just beats you up every day. And you've got this area in your life that's just made you can't get over it. Well, you need a plan. And your plan needs truth. Will you, will you in, implement a plan today? Say, you know, I, I've got areas in my life I really need to implement this plan and I want to do that today. I want to commit to that this morning. I'll implement a plan so that I can battle temptation. However the Lord's working in your life, why don't you respond to him this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for the word. I thank you for Joseph's example. God, give us victory over sin. And too many of us are okay with sin running around at our feet. We act like it's no big deal and we get used to it and we make the jokes and we... We just assume it's part of our lives and it's not a big deal. God, please help us to be so, to be so desirous of holiness that we, that we can't stand to let sin have its course. God, for those in here who aren't saved, maybe this morning, and I, I, I believe there's probably a few, God, would you help them to realize that without Jesus Christ, there's no hope for salvation and there's no hope for victory over sin. God, it'll always beat them up. Help them to see this morning is the first step is to be saved. God, we love you and we need you. We pray that you bless this, the invitation even now. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.